Cornerstone family, it is so good to be speaking to you again, and I hope you are doing well. I pray that God's blessings are richly on you, and anybody who is listening to these services, I hope you have a church that you are a part of, that you are fellowshipping in, and that you are making disciples, and uh, others are helping to make a disciple out of you as well. So with that being said, we are opening up a new series today. It's going to be through the book of Acts. I'm really excited about it. This is going to be, I think, a whirlwind of a series. We're going to see some pretty amazing things. I want to just invite everybody that's listening and you attend Cornerstone, or if you're in the area of eastern Pennsylvania, I want to invite you on Sundays to come out to beautiful, massive Lopat Park in Phillipsburg, New Jersey, and join us Sunday mornings at 10 o'clock. We are really enjoying what we are doing, being together again. We've had so many people coming out, so many new people joining us, and it is very, very exciting. So I want to encourage you to join us, and feel free, if you want to wear a mask, you can wear a mask, and um, certainly socially distance as well. We want to invite you to be part of that. All right, I, you know what I'm going to do. If you've been listening to these sermons for any length of time, you know I do this every single week. Can you right now, right now, get your Bibles open, no matter where you are? Now, if you're driving and you're watching this on your phone, or rather listening to this on your phone, um, I, you know, I don't think you probably should be handling your Bible, but you can listen very carefully. But if you're sitting and you're watching this, let me invite you to get your Bibles open to Acts chapter 1. And today is going to be basically an introduction and maybe a little bit more than an introduction. So I want to invite you to get your Bibles open to Acts chapter 1. And while you do that, let me tell you, I had a movie scene playing through my mind as I was preparing for this message. I think a lot of you have seen it. Maybe some of you haven't, sadly, seen this movie. But you've got to go all the way back to when I was 16 years old, 1982, when Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, came to the theaters. And I remember watching that movie, and there was a scene in that movie where they watched a simulation on a computer of what was called the Genesis device. Now, if you saw the movie, maybe you're remembering this, the Genesis device. The simulation showed a rocket fired from a spaceship to a moon, a dead moon, a lifeless moon. And the rocket hit the moon's surface and an explosion occurred. And then the camera zoomed in and began moving around the globe of the moon and up over the horizon, overtaking the camera in this simulation, was this energy effect. And it blanketed, it enveloped the entire moon. And wherever that energy went, it created water. It created vegetation. So there were rivers and there were lakes and there were oceans and forests and trees in the forest, of course. And this was an amazing scene. Completely, at least in Hollywood's version, straight out of the book of Genesis. Why it's called the Genesis device. And it created the Genesis effect. 
So hold that scene in your mind, even if, I, if you've never seen the movie and I gave you a very poor retelling of that scene, try to hold it in your mind, because this is what we're going to see in the, in the book of Acts. We're going to see the gospel detonated in the first century, and it's going to generate life wherever it goes. And it's going to go to the ends of the earth by the means of the church. Did you hear that? The gospel is going to detonate. And the church is going to carry the life of the good news of the birth and life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ all the way to the end of the earth. And wherever it goes, it's going to create life in a very spiritually dead world. And though opposition is going to come, though there will be obstacles to the church, the church is going to succeed in the mission. In fact, let me tell you some really encouraging words from Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. These are the words of Jesus. And he said to his disciples, particularly Peter, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now the gates of hell, you've got to kind of understand this a little bit. The gates of hell mean, or that's a way of saying, the powers of hell, which are the powers or the forces of Satan and his demonic horde. And they are going to come against the church. They are going to oppose the church, but they're not going to be able to overcome the church. So we've got the book of Acts, which is all about the worldwide growth of the church, all the way from its birth to its explosive growth, and it's blanketing the earth. And it all started from small beginnings. And Acts chapter 1 is going to capture those small beginnings. And despite all the opposition that's going to come to the early apostles and to the early believers, the church is going to explode, it's going to spread, it's going to go to the end of the earth, just as Jesus promised in Matthew 16, 18. The church, friends, I hope you hear this, because you, you hear so many negative statistics about the church, and I'm going to actually give you some statistics about Christians right now, but the church is invincible. Do you know that? I mean, let that strengthen your faith. The church is strong. It is empowered by God himself, the source of her strength. As we begin our series, there is an important word in verse 1. So you've got your Bibles open. I, you know, all of that was just preamble. All that was just giving you time to get your Bibles open. So I, I hope you got them open. Here we go. You ready? Acts chapter 1. Look at verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Now, if I were you, I would underline that word began because it may be the most overlooked word in that verse. Luke is the author. He also wrote the gospel according to Luke, the gospel of Jesus according to Luke. And he wrote it to a man by the name of Theophilus, a Greek name who was likely, most believe, a Roman official. 
And you've got Luke, he is a doctor, he's educated, a physician. And he's a faithful man whose entire believing life was focused on the mission of spreading the good news of the gospel. Did you hear that? The entire believing life of Luke committed to this mission. And the Bible really never tells us what happens to Luke. According to church tradition, he lived to be 84 years old. He served Jesus in several countries until he was crucified on an olive tree in Greece. That's early church tradition of the martyrdom of Luke. But Luke here is saying to Theophilus that in his first book, the Gospel of Luke, he recorded what Jesus began. See, that tells you the story didn't end at the end of Luke. The story doesn't end at the end of Matthew, Mark, or John. It just actually began. The earthly ministry of Jesus was just a beginning. Chapter 1, if you want to put it like that, in the story of the church, really, it's the detonation of the gospel effect. That's really how I want you to see it. That's the analogy that I want you to, to maybe use for this sermon. The gospel detonates in the earthly ministry of Jesus. But it was just the beginning. It's going to continue and we're going to follow it through the book of Luke. Because now Luke writes a second book. And he's going to detail how the church is now going to carry the gospel to the end of the earth. All of the earth is going to be blanketed with the good news of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So here's a cool thing about Acts. I'm going to assume for a second that you've never read it. I'm sure a lot of you have, maybe most of you, but let's just assume for a moment you've never read the book of Acts. So I'm going to tell you something. I hope to wet your whistle, to get you excited, to be a, a bit of a teaser. It works like an embedded reporter. Luke writes it like he's an embedded reporter right in the action. It makes you feel like you are there in the, mo in the moment. It is a nonstop, no let up, book. And for 2,000 years now, the church has been on a mission. We've been on a mission, carrying the good news of Jesus to the whole earth. That's still the mission of the church. It's still the mission for every single Christian. By the way, Christian brother and sister, I can tell you clearly why God has you on this planet. I can tell you why he still is putting breath in your lungs, why your heart is still beating. It is to fulfill the mission of Jesus Christ. The mission of Jesus is the same mission that every church has. It's the same mission that every single Christian has. It's just different in different contexts. But the problem is that churches, and you evaluate if this is true for you, and a lot of Christians, we develop mission apathy. We sort of lose interest in the mission. And then we begin to slowly forget what it is that Jesus has told us to do and Jesus has told us to be. 
Look at verse 6. It, that's not a problem just for you and for me. This is a problem that the disciples had even in the first century. Look at verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus, in other words, are you going to now set up your earthly kingdom and we're going to reign with you? I mean, isn't it a political kingdom that you came to establish? Isn't it a kingdom that you came to establish in Israel? And won't all the nations now bow down before you and before Israel because of its glory? That's what they're asking him. See, they had these preconceived notions they had these ideas that were so deeply entrenched of what the mission should be and those notions those ideas are very difficult to correct have you ever tried to find something in your home maybe something in your office and you remembered it being a certain color. You remembered it in your mind's eye being a certain shape. And you searched and you searched, but you could not find it. So frustrating when that happens. But later you just sort of stumbled on it. Only to discover, shockingly, that it really wasn't the color or the shape that you were remembering it to be. And all the while that you were looking for it, it was right in front of you. But you had these preconceived notions. Here's what it looks like. Here's what color it is. And because of that, you were missing right in front of you. That happens so often to me. Or haven't you ever recalled a story with your family and your friends that happened a long time ago? But your memory of it was very, very different from theirs. But then you see evidence that it did happen the way that they said it did. It did not happen the way that you remembered. And you were shocked because you then even begin to insist, well, maybe the evidence is wrong. Because I just remember it so clearly being different. That's the power of our preconceived opinions. That's the power of our notions that, cannot, that sometimes are not correct. And the early disciples had them too. Jesus, is it time now? Are you going to set up your earthly kingdom? Are we going to reign with you and shuck off the power of the Roman might and be our own nation again? And the answer that Jesus gives them, verse 7, can you look in your Bibles? Look at verse 7. I'm just going to put it in a paraphrase. That's none of your business. This is basically what he says to the disciples. It's none of your business what we're going to do, what God the Father and the Spirit and I are going to do right now. Here, what, here, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. That's kind of harsh. But that really is what he's saying. That's not your business. Quit being preoccupied by that. And then he makes them pivot. 
He makes them stop and turn in the right direction. He he goes, here's what is your business, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. He says, I'm going to give you the power to effectively be my witnesses, to testify of me. Now, I'm going to tell you something that might seem a little bit surprising. At least to some, I think it's going to be surprising. Did you know that the phrase, look in verses 7 and 8 again. Did you know that the phrase filled with the Holy Spirit, it occurs repeatedly in the book of Acts. That's not the surprising part. What's surprising is this. Many Christians link the Spirit's filling mainly with sign gifts and miracles and wonders. They, they think in their mind, when you think of the filling of the Spirit, that you are filled with the Spirit, you think of the, of the sign gift of tongues, of healings, of miracles, wonders. But I'm going to tell you the most common result in the book of Acts of being filled with the Spirit, the most common by far, Almost, in, almost completely the result of being filled by the Spirit, filled with the Spirit. It is the power that God gives you to witness. Now that's maybe underwhelming. So I've got to stress that just a little bit more because you can't, I can't, I can't allow you to come away from this sermon without really getting this point. Because this is the foundation for the entire series When God fills his people with the Spirit, almost incredibly, consistently, the effect of that filling is to have the power to speak, to witness, to testify of Jesus Christ. And that might be surprising to many. Think about Peter, who just a few weeks before this chapter's events unfolded, fearfully ran away from a girl accusing him of being with Jesus. You remember that? He started uttering profanities and curses and he fled out into the night because this girl three times said, weren't you one of his disciples? I know you were one of his disciples. And he kept denying it. He couldn't speak. He couldn't witness. He couldn't testify. He didn't have the courage But when the Spirit of God fills him, which is going to happen 10 days from these events, when the Spirit of God fills him, this common fisherman becomes able to witness and preach to crowds and thousands come to faith in Jesus. You see, when God fills his people with the Spirit, which happens upon salvation, and we're going to talk about that next week, but when he fills people, his people, with his Spirit, the most common result, the most common effect, is now the supernatural ability and power to testify of Jesus, to speak of Jesus. Remember James and John? They wanted to call down fire just a few months before this day happened in Acts chapter 1. They wanted to call down fire from heaven and destroy a town of Samaritans who rejected them. 
But now when the Spirit of God is going to come into them, they're going to call down grace as they speak of Jesus Christ to sinners of every ethnic persuasion. You see, the disciples were beaten. They were jailed. But what did they do? They witnessed of Jesus Christ. What does that actually mean? You know the Greek word for witness is martyr? The Greek word for our English word witness is martyr, meaning one who witnesses through their death. A witness is one who gives testimony of what they know to be true, what they have seen, and what they have experienced. That's as true today as as a witness in a court of law as it is a witness of Jesus Christ. It's one who gives testimony of what they know is true, what they have seen, and what they have experienced. But I want you to understand what Jesus is saying in Acts chapter 1 to the disciples. Look what he says actually from Luke chapter 24. See, Acts chapter 1 picks up the ending of Luke chapter 24. He repeats it and he uses some different words, but he almost backs up before he gets going again. He backs up into Luke chapter 24. And in Luke chapter 24, Jesus said to the disciples, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance And forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. What are these things that they are to witness of, to to testify of? It's that he died, he suffered, he died, and he rose on the third day. And now people can come in faith and, and repentance, and they can be forgiven of their sins and have eternal life. And the disciples were eyewitnesses. Of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. They reported it. It's in scripture. Now Christian, listen. You and I are not eyewitnesses of that. We were not on the earth when Jesus was on the earth. We are the recipients of the eyewitness testimony of the apostles that are recorded in the scriptures. And we testify to its truth. We testify to its life-giving power. We are witnesses of Jesus Christ. But you might be saying right now, Pastor Tim, I, I think I'm hearing you. You're telling me that I need, if I'm a Christian, to be a witness That the Spirit of God is empowering me to be a witness. But I'm not a theologian. I'm definitely not an expert in the Bible. I don't even like public speaking. And I'm going to tell you, you don't need to be an expert in the Bible. You do not need to be a theologian. You just need to testify of what you do know. And you study the Bible, and you learn, and then you're going to have more to share. You testify now. You witness now what you do know. Christian, you've been changed. You've been purchased by God, and the purchase price was the blood of the Son. And because of your trust in Him, because you've submitted to Him, because you've yielded to Jesus... 
He took all your sins upon him and he gave you his righteousness so that you now are right with God, adopted into his family as his child, sealed by the Spirit of God. He indwells you and he teaches you and he's showing you and he's persuading you that you've got all of the righteous, all of the the riches rather of Christ. You've already been blessed with the inheritance and there's more to come. So you testify of what you know now, but you study the Bible. So the more you know, the more you're going to be able to share. I read recently about an Irish preacher named Derek Bingham who taught weekly. He taught more than a thousand young adults in Belfast every Tuesday evening. Did it for years. He was phenomenally successful. And he shared how he was called into the ministry. Here's how Derek Bingham was called into this incredible ministry. His mother was dying. And some of her final words to her son Derek were these. Derek, my boy, you have the gift of gab. But you don't know the word. If you'd learn the word, the Lord might be able to use you. You know, this is a true story. Within three weeks of his mother's death, Derek Bingham began preaching. Three weeks from her death, he began preaching. This was his call into ministry. One night, he preached to 5,000 people. And afterwards, Derek said to his friend, the late James Montgomery Boyce, and I'm going to quote Derek Bingham, you know, as I was sitting there on the platform... I was thinking about my mother. And I was thinking that if my mother could come back from heaven for just a moment and walk in here and see this great convention and me sitting there on the speaker's platform, I'd say to her, Mom, look what we're doing. Here we are. We're doing what you wanted us to do all the time. What do you testify of? What do you witness to? You witness to what you know. And you study the word of God and God will give you more of what to share. He will give you more of what to testify for. Look at what Jesus commanded them, the disciples, Acts chapter 1. You will be, verse 8, my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now this is crazy. What I'm going to tell you. Some of y'all aren't going to believe this. I'd invite you to study it for yourself. Do you realize it took them three decades? It took the early church, the apostles, three decades, 30 years. And the entire world heard about the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, listen to one early church theologian. His name was Tertullian. He wrote this around 200 AD. Listen to this. He said, we are but of yesterday. In other words, we've not been around long, this church. And we have filled every place among you, cities, islands, fortresses, towns, marketplaces, the very camp, Tribes, companies, palace, senate, forum. We have left nothing to you but the temples of your gods. 
30 years, they got the gospel around the entire earth. So how did a group of uneducated apostles, not one of them had a degree in philosophy, not one of them had a degree in theology, they just were with Jesus. How did a group of uneducated believers accomplish this monumental task in three decades? Here's the answer. They believed that every single Christian is a witness sent by their Lord and Savior into a spiritually dead world with the life-giving truth of the gospel. Every Christian... Brother and sister, that would be you, that would be me. Every Christian is a witness. And we have been sent by Jesus to the very end of the earth with a gospel, a good news message that's got the power to bring life into the spiritually dead world. And the early church was phenomenally successful as witnesses of Jesus. But something happened. Something happened. They soon forgot their mission. While the world population kept growing. You know, the best estimates of the world's population in the first century AD is about 330 million people. Today, there are nearly 8 billion people alive around the world. And of those 8 billion people, 4.5 billion of them have not heard or been taught the good news of Jesus Christ. Because the church got mission apathy. The church professionalized ministry. The church began to believe that it's the pastor's that do the work of Jesus. It's the pastors that are the ones that speak of Jesus. It's the leaders of the church that are the witnesses for Jesus. They've forgotten that it's the job of every single Christian to be a witness of Jesus Christ. And the Spirit of God is enabling you to do just that. Did you know that 97 to 98% of practicing Christians believe it is important to witness to others? That's almost 100%. 98% of practicing Christians believe it's important to witness to others. 73% of millennial Christians say they know how to answer someone who has questions for them about faith, about God, about Jesus, about religion. 73% of them feel like they can answer these questions. But 74%, three quarters of the Christians, seldom talk to anybody about Jesus. 93, this is crazy, 93% of Christian grandparents are uncomfortable talking about Jesus to their grandkids. Baylor University found that 69% of churchgoers believe everybody's going to go to heaven. It doesn't matter what your religion is or if you don't have a religion. There's no urgency. There's no reason to share the gospel. 
until all of a sudden the word of God confronts us with a certain fact that hell is real. Sinners need saving. And Romans 10 says, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? Now listen, how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them, someone witnesses, someone testifies? Do you want to know why so many people are on their way to hell, it's because the church is not getting the gospel out. We're not testifying of the good news of Jesus Christ. See, Acts is the story of a group of disciples witnessing of Jesus all the way to the ends of the earth. The Genesis effect started on the day of Pentecost with an explosion of power from the Holy Spirit. And it is still today reaching around the globe. And it brings life to all who believe. And it remains to be asked, Christian, brother and sister, you're watching this, you're listening to this. I need to ask, are you a spirit-empowered witness of Jesus Christ? Are you testifying of his life, death, and resurrection? Are you talking to your co-workers? Are you witnessing to your neighbors? Are you realizing that your mission field is your school and the people who need to hear the gospel are your classmates, whether they're in elementary, middle, senior high, or college? The Spirit of God, Christian, is saying to you, let's go. Let's tell them. And I'll give you the power. So watch me work. Are you a witness of Jesus Christ? As I close, can I ask you to do something? What do you do with this message? What should be your response to this message? I would invite you to spend a couple days praying earnestly. Jesus, am I a witness of you? Am I testifying of you? Are there people that you want to send me to speak the gospel to? And I've not been doing it. Would you forgive me? Would you forgive me? I want to repent of that. And I want to be your witness. And I want to take the gospel wherever I go so that it can bring life to people who are spiritually dead. Can I invite you to pray that? And if you are a witness of Jesus Christ and you are speaking to people, give God the glory. That's his work. That's the power of the Spirit of God in you. If you're not doing that, would you pray and you repent and you ask the Lord to give you a witness's mouth? Why don't we pray for that to happen right now? Let's pray together. Father, we ask that you would so deeply impress in us, every Christian, that we have a mission. Lord, the same call that you gave to your apostles, you are to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Lord, that is the same call today. 
And while the apostles were phenomenally successful, the Spirit of God empowered them to do the miraculous. They got the gospel to the whole world. Father, we confess the church has gotten lazy. The church has gotten apathetic. The church has drifted from the mission. Lord, we need a pivot. We need to repent. And we need to be your witnesses. Lord, Spirit of God, I pray that you would so galvanize, be a catalyst for us, show us doors that are opening, opportunities for us to testify of the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the life that you can bring and want to bring. And may we see these things happen to your glory. We love you, we thank you, and in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. I want to invite you back as we continue in this series called To the End of the Earth. I am going to ask you to buckle up. It's going to be quite a ride. God bless. I hope you have a great week of witnessing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.